What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rose, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry. Uh, Derek, this has kind of just turned into a venting podcast, seems like, for a lot of people over the last month, because uh, when's the last time UK Athletics celebrated a win? The South Carolina football game, I think, was the only win, probably in about a month and a half. I'm sure uh, the women's basketball team's won since then. but well, They have. They've won a ton, actually. Uh, another bad day, Derek. Another bad day for the men's basketball team. Another day where we're kind of sitting here scratching our heads at some things that John Calipari said in his post-game presser, and it led to a phone call conversation with me and you for an hour, just kind of talking about the program overall and from the beginning till now, and where does this program go? Because, Derek, I mean, everybody should have questions right now. Yeah, I mean... We were already at this territory before today's loss, but certainly they've reached unprecedented levels under Cal. I mean, I know they reached that point a little bit back, but honestly feel like this is kind of the last straw, I think, Sean, for, for some fans. I'm not going to say for every fan. I'm sure people listening to this show will probably still tune into every single game. But even even those kind of fans, though, I think today's loss to Louisville, which – I'm going to pat myself on the back because I've had to own some terrible predictions this year. I was off by one single point from picking the score right today. It's neither here nor there. But uh, what I was trying to say is this is like you could still kind of spin. I think you could spin that this could still be a turnaround. If you beat Louisville, you're going into conference play. Um, well, it's supposed to start this week. So they'll play the first conference game next Saturday. And, uh, Sean, I just think with today's loss – it's can't really sell that anymore. I think it's about time to accept that uh, it's probably not going to happen for this team. And uh, just getting back and having a winning record will probably be a a short-term goal, I would say, for this group. Well, I mean, hell, the short-term goal is to win a game. But if you're talking about in the long run, you're, you're going to want to see them try to make something out of the season and play better basketball because it's been a long, tough month. Yeah, and I guess I guess now I'll just go ahead and say – uh, what I've what I've been told is that Kentucky, as of right now, will play Hartford Tuesday night at Rupp Arena. Derek, I know UK hasn't sent that out yet, but that is something that I would would expect to go out tomorrow, probably. Uh, that Kentucky will play Hartford at Rupp Arena. That was a team that was originally originally supposed to be part of that MTE to start the season with Detroit and uh, Morehead. Well, Morehead State, I think, replaced them actually. So uh, we'll see exactly what that means, but. It's just it's another chance for Kentucky to play. It's a chance for them to get a win. But I'll tell you this: it's a Hartford team right now that I think that's on a winning streak coming in. And they play; they're playing the way they're doing their conference games. They're playing back-to-back days. They play New Hampshire tomorrow and Monday, and then as of right now, they'll play Kentucky in place of the South Carolina game Tuesday night. So we'll talk about that whenever that's confirmed. 
but um, just looking at everything, what does a win against Hartford do if you do beat them other than it just gets you a win? It's it's not improving your resume. I mean, I guess Kentucky still has to go out and win. Let's just say it. I don't think that this team is making it to the NCAA tournament. I no. just and anyone that says that they will is a homer right now, <laughs> and they won't be, and they just don't believe otherwise. Am I saying that this team can't put themselves in a position to at least be in the conversation? No, I just think you're asking a lot out of a team that has showed me nothing for the first seven games. Uh, you're talking 20 games left now, Derek, counting Texas and Hartford and 18 SEC games if they all get played. Kentucky would have to win 14 to 15 of those games, in my opinion, to, to be in a position. And those games would have to include wins over Texas and Tennessee and yeah. the games that are considered you know, good wins. They have no good wins, and they're about to go into conference play. Yeah, let's say they played all 18 and finished even with a 13-5 and five record, which at this point I think anybody would take that given how poorly they played. Well, that would put them up 14-11, and 11, I think. Yeah. So – even that is not going to be uh, all that great. I uh, still don't think you'll get in the tournament at that kind of record unless it's just a crazy year in the bubble. But, you know, Sean, let's let's just let's dive into the game real quick before we get into all the big things. Uh, I know you just did a podcast, so you might be repeating yourself for some of these things. But um, I'd say major storyline today. There's a couple. There were a couple. Let's, let's just let's just try to be positive for the first few minutes before this turns into as it inevitably will. It will become a pretty probably dark podcast, I would say, before this is over with. Uh, but Davion Mintz, 19 points, another good game for him. He has been steady basically the entire season. Um, and then the other bright spot, um, I kind of made fun of him. <laughs> not really made fun of him last week, but Jacob Toppin, he. he he showed something today, Sean. He I mean, did. something you could build on and something to be excited about for the future. And I thought that was big for him. Ten points, six assists. I mean, he was a guy, all of his points came from the field. He made five shots. I mean, he went five for seven. Um, he, he showed you something today. And uh, when I say I made fun, I didn't really make – it was – there was a play against well, North Carolina that kind of made me laugh where he drove to the rim and didn't really have a firm grasp on the ball and tried to dunk it. <laughs> well, we had a que- well, we had a question about if he was unplayable or not. Not yeah. too long ago, and that that was a fair question, considering that he hadn't really you know done much to that point. But I'll tell you this: I found out a lot the last two games. I found out that Kentucky has good enough role players to to win basketball games. It's not the role players right now that's killing Kentucky. Davion Mintz was really good again, Derek, and and just looking at the stats. Uh, when when he he's their most capable shooter right now, he's their most consistent shooter right now. Uh, probably their most consistent playmaker. I thought Devin Askew got off to a good start. He did have some struggles in the second half. The thing that really stood out to me is why in the world is he he's is he checking someone so tightly and so closely in the second half, and he just was getting abused and getting beaten off the dribble every single time. But Kentucky's role guys are good enough for this team to be what we thought they would be. Lance Ware is improving every single week. I think Jacob Toppin showed you the future today. I think that he also showed you that he's willing to work. Uh, you heard that from you know his teammates today. I think it was Davion Mintz that was talking about it, that he had had his best practice and stuff, or practiced really hard for the last couple of days. Devin Askew is going to be a good player for this program. The role guys aren't the problem, Derek. 
The problem lies with Terrence Clark, B.J. Boston, and Olivier Saar. And I think now we can group Olivier Saar into that because when you go two games without missing shots or without making a shot and you're grouped into the same history as Michael Porter, that's not good. Uh, yeah. I'll find that tweet again here in a second where he was, the, the I think, the last player to go two games or something without a made field goal. 1.1 one, one one rebound today. Yeah. One I mean, one, what exactly – yeah, what is he doing? We're sitting here talking about these two freshmen. What's your senior big man doing? Think about this, Sean. Um, this is not to pile on to Olivier. Because, like Cal said after the game, that, that last shot – well, not the last shot. The last shot was Boston. But the, the shot before that Sard attempted, it was a play that could have gone to either of those guys, Mintz being the other guy. Mintz made the right read. But how about this for you, Sean? If Jackson isn't hit with a bad foul call to foul him out of the game, He's probably not even on the floor of that possession. No. Agree or disagree? You agree, I, right? I agree, 110%. So, you know, I know Cal's trying to – he's he brought up the Brendan Knight stuff, talked about Buzzard's luck, did all these things. I just don't understand that. Um, it was a good look. I agree with that. I don't think it was a bad shot. It almost went in. But where's the logic in giving that the guy who had one point all game and didn't even score from the floor last game either? And then that's the guy who gets your final shot. If I'm Mance, I'm heated right now. I know you can say that part of the design could have been for him. How do you not draw it up to where you're saying, Davion, go get a bucket? Well, you know when you're, I mean? you're in a situation like that, I don't understand why you're going to Olivier Saar on the shot where it was a one-point game, considering he hasn't made a shot since the Notre Dame game. He missed that exact shot two weeks ago. And both, honestly, though, Derek, both of them look like they were going in. Today it looked even more like it was going in. But in that situation, you're going downhill and you're getting to the rim and you're getting yourself to the free throw line and you're putting it in the hands of the officials because they'd already shown the tendency to blow the whistle and be be quick with any kind of yeah, contact they whatsoever. They shot, yeah, they shot. So they shot 22 free throws for the game and 16 of those were in the second half. So, yeah, I mean, they were. The refs were tightening up that whistle. And if you, that, that's not, that's the thing. It wasn't just one possession. They had. Devin Askey missed a three. Uh, well, the Boston possession, I mean, they had to take a three. They were down by three. But Star, same deal, jump shots. How many other possessions? Uh, Jackson well, got an offensive rebound on one that got the score tied. They could have taken the he lead. Also airballed also shot. He also airballed a shot so badly to the left that it went directly out of bounds in the corner from a 15 feet. Isaiah Jackson did. Remember when he shot the one from the elbow there? I think it was with like a That's minute, right. nothing to go in the game. And That's the thing, too. That That's another – underlying problem that I think they have right now is they don't know who they want to go to late in the game. But today it should have been easy. It should have been Davion Mintz. I mean, that's the, that's the thing that just makes no sense to me is why do they keep going to the guys? I, I knew how that was ending with B.J. Boston shooting at the end of the game. I knew it was going to end with a miss. We'd seen it too many times to this point. And honestly, it probably it put him in an unfair situation because he wasn't hitting that. He could try that shot nine more times and he's not making it. I mean, that, that's what we've seen from him right now. Uh, yeah, the season stats here. After that miss, three, Boston this year is shooting 15% from three. Is it? Yeah. Off from 32. Yeah, you, you read these stats to me earlier. We'll read them for the crowd. You know, it's, they're 10 for 54 combined. Him and Clark, yeah. Clark, yeah, sorry, Terrence Clark, yeah. So, I think that's the big storyline, Sean. That's what, what you touched on. Sorry can throw in there as well. But even, even before the season started, I would have told you, Sar didn't need to be any more than their third leading scorer to regard leading scorer regardless. Like my whole thing in the preseason was all about Boston and Clark. It being a return to 
the elite recruits. By ranking, they both would fit that bill. Boston finished top five. I think Clark was like eighth or ninth. So top ten recruits, some guys you should expect to come in, be very, very good, and then go off to the NBA for a year. And if you're asking me today, December 26th, I'm going to tell you they are not very good and still probably going to be off to the NBA next year. So that brings up a point I wanted to talk to you about because we are at a spot in the Cal area we've never been before, obviously not only with the record. But, Sean, at what point do you just accept that it's a year that wasn't what you planned and it's almost an unfathomable thing in the Cal area, but when do you build for the future? Or can you build for the future with how they do things? It's a very hard question because here's the deal. Let's say that this roster, let's say that nobody chooses to opt out. And I'm just throwing that out there because I do think that in a year like this, Derek, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if somebody decided to say, hey, that's it. You know, let's protect draft stock or do something, not just in Kentucky, but everywhere. That's what you're getting to is how do you build for the future the way they play? Because here's the thing. B.J. Boston and Terrence Clark are going to continue missing shots, and John Calipari is going to let them. Yep. That, that's not changing. Will they have moments where they have good nights? I think they will. I mean, at some point, they're going to have a night where they play better, but does that mean it's fixed? No. But we've seen that John Calipari is going to keep letting them do that. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense to me. With We've talked about this multiple times, Derek. What at what point do you give Kentucky fans something to kind of latch onto with a season that's just been absolutely devastating? Nobody saw this coming. Uh, they shouldn't have lost all these games. Cal can, Cal can stop with the whole schedule stuff. No, this isn't a daunting schedule. Like, this isn't – this wasn't a Louisville team that's going to go to the Final Four. This no. isn't This isn't even – I think this is a, a team that's going to struggle to get to the second weekend. Like I, don't even know. I know they had some guys out, but this is a team that lost by almost 40 points. So well, well, here's the other thing about this schedule, too. Kentucky is awful, and it's not like these teams are blowing them out. And yeah. it's not because Kentucky's doing anything to hang in the game. It's because the teams they're playing aren't very good. North Carolina's not very good. Man, North- these season stats, I'm just sorry. I'm just blind. That's unbelievable. Boston is a 36% shooter from the floor, 15% from three. He's still the leading scorer. And he has taken 28 more shots than the next closest guy to him. Yep. And he, he has played to the most minutes. With those numbers, with those shot attempts, you better be scoring 20-plus a night. And right now he's not. The leashes are just incredibly long for this kid. It, it makes no sense. Like, that, that's the thing. And that that is where this is my problem that I have with what Cal's doing right now. I have I will defend Cal. I think Cal has been wonderful for the U.K. program, but when you get to this point, this is the part that I think he's contradicting himself a lot on, Derek, because he comes out and he says he doesn't play favorites, but then he continues giving guys a leash that if, let's put it this way, if Dante Allen had the five-star beside his name, he'd be doing the same exact, he'd be getting the same exact treatment that B.J. Boston and Terrence Clark's doing right now. You know why? Because that's what fits the culture. The culture at Kentucky is to develop you get you to the NBA, put you in a chance to, you know, change your life. I was just on Sources Say, you know, with Jack Pilgrim, you know, a good friend of ours, and he was talking that he had he had been told from sources that Dante's basketball IQ, Derek, is, is lacking a lot in practice. He makes a lot of, you know, mistakes in that aspect of the game. But here's my approach when Jack asked me about it. We keep hearing that B.J. Boston and Terrence Clark and these guys are knocking down shots in practice, so why not? 
play him and see if it's the opposite and see if it has the same effect. Because right now, those guys aren't hitting shots in games, so maybe Dante's basketball IQ improves if you put him in a game. Uh, I just don't think it fits the culture. To, that don't, it's, it's more important for B.J. Boston, Terrence Clark to work out than it is for Dante Allen to work out of Kentucky. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does, man. I just um, – I, I don't doubt, and even though it's hard to even believe this with kind of how bad – I don't know. That's the weird thing about Boston is if you, he's averaging fourteen and six, and just that alone isn't bad. Like if you didn't see the other numbers, you would think it's okay. But he takes he's like one of the least efficient players I can remember <laughs> under Cal. I mean, thirty six for ninety eight, basically can't make a three, but he is a good free throw shooter. And I'll give him credit for this. He he does get in there and try to rebound. He is limited physically in terms of his strength. He has a very hard time against basically any player just because he's so physically weak, but he's a young kid. Um, I, I just think it's very clear that that's who Cal wants to be the guy uh, on this team. But, I mean, at what point do you just say it's not working? I mean, well, here's the thing. Eight games or seven games in now, and, you know, it's not a huge sample size, but if you're playing one year of college basketball, like he probably is. And you've played – how many games they playing this year, Sean? They've got, what, like, what, they seven, eight Seven, and they have 20 – they'll play 27 if they get to play them all. So 20 games left, right? Yep. Okay, so, I mean, it's not a whole lot of time left. I mean, certainly enough time to improve on these bad numbers. But I don't know. I just, I just don't think there's really an incentive right now for Dante Allen to – I know Cal says to stay ready or if you're a chance, but if, I mean, I just don't see how that wouldn't have some kind of effect on him in terms of how he prepares. Um, and then if he does get his chance, whatever that may be, realistically, what does he have to do to even kind of stay in a rotation? I just think it's like an uphill battle for him no matter what. You do. Do I, do I think he'll get another chance? I do. I think he'll get one Tuesday night. But well, yeah, but will that, well, what can he do there to be enough to actually satisfy Cal in the long run? I mean, he just admitted to us today, Cal did, uh, that, if you earn your spot in the top seven or eight or whatever, you can mess up more than basically for the tenth guy. Which would, how does that make yeah. sense though? Like that's, well, that's what I think is tough to know for us who don't we you know we don't go to practice. We don't. I never hear much about practice. So like Cal saying that these other guys have earned it. It's I don't doubt that they're better than Allen in practice, but at the same time, if it doesn't translate to, I just don't understand on a team that's one and six how he can't even just play a little bit. I mean, if like, that's the thing. If they were, if Boston was playing well, if Clark was playing well, like Dante wouldn't really even be a storyline probably because they wouldn't need to be. But whenever you're trying to, like you said today, when we were talking on the phone, he was talking about how he was trying to win the game. I just don't know how you can say that you exhausted all of your options if the guy who even he has said is one of the better shooters on the team doesn't get a chance to even play. So... I don't know. I mean, they're in a bad spot. They're they are in a bad spot right now, and that that's what I was going to get at is you know BJ Boston, yeah, scoring more than fourteen a game, that looks good, Derek. But when you throw in the efficiency and the fact that he's shooting thirty under forty percent from the field overall, that that's not very good. Uh, I would take him scoring eight if it were more efficient, because I mean, he's obviously shooting too many shots that need to be going elsewhere right now. Terrence Clark, too, in the same boat. But here's the thing with that. If those guys are playing more than one season at Kentucky, these struggles are okay. But they're not. 
they're only going to play one season at Kentucky. So is you're you're kind of at a point, like you said earlier, at what point do you say you're building for next year and you're going to try to bring back a roster that has a lot of experience? Because here's the biggest thing that I think this program needs. This program needs to produce their own juniors and seniors. Guys in this program that go through it for multiple years and they see light at the end of the tunnel and they see an opportunity and they make an impact as a junior and senior, a really big impact as a junior and senior. I think that's the biggest thing. I think that's how you get the balance. But you're you're hurting the development when you keep playing guys that aren't making shots. And I get it. Cal thinks that Terrence Clark and B.J. Boston have to hit shots for this team to be to team to be elite. If he still believes this team can be elite, that's what they have to do. And I'll agree with that. If if they're ever going to be elite or have a chance to make a run in the postseason or make the postseason, those two guys have to get going and have to be what they were built out to be in the preseason, Derek. We we all heard it. We weren't the only ones that talked about it. Every single analyst, every single journalist, everyone believed that those two were going to be very good and that they were going to be very good together. Even they believed it. So I just – I think right now, I don't think those three guys are playing very hard. Is what I'm going to say. Out of those two and, and Olivier Saar, they're they're not playing as hard as the role players are, Derek. And I think that's why you're seeing role players have success now, and you're seeing guys that are supposed to be stars look like the weight of the world's on their shoulders. The role guys have figured out their place on this team. The three stars haven't, because if if you're going to be billed as stars, you better live up to it. For sure. And when we're talking about building for anything, well, that would completely go against, like, basically it can't happen uh, for, for the guards anyway because he's not going to give up on Clark or Boston because... If he does, it's used against him in every recruiting thing he does. Am I crazy to say it? And maybe it's still too early because it's, it's still December. Like, I think it's... They've played I mean, seven games and it feels like 20. Yeah. What I'm trying to say is, like, it's probably too early for Boston or Clark to know. Theoretically, it should be too hard for them to know what they're going to do yet after the season, unless they're just hell-bent on being one and done no matter what. But is, would it be crazy to even, like, at a certain point here pretty soon, Cal, if it gets bad enough, Cal, to, like, figure out, like, hey, is there any chance you guys want to come back? If so, let's keep rolling with what we're doing. Because, like, if you knew Boston and Clark were going to come back for another year, I think everybody would be – not okay with a one and six record, but at least changes my mindset. Yeah, like you're at least not going to be. Uh, I guess you could say, okay, he's getting these quality minutes or whatever, and then maybe next year, later in the season, it'll it'll be able to pay off. But if they're going to be gone, no matter what, I don't know. It's just a weird spot to be in, and one I'd say Cal never thought he would be in. So, no, and and that's the thing when you look at this roster, the role players are good. Like that that's what I keep coming back to. I've seen enough from Lance Ware the last two weeks to tell me that he has a place in this program. He he's physical and he plays hard. What you saw from Jacob Toppin today, Derek, tells me that Jacob Toppin's gonna to be fine. And it's gonna be something that they can use. I think he his minutes go up a ton the next few weeks. Uh if Cameron Fletcher comes back to the team, Derek, Jacob Toppin's right there now ahead of him and ahead of some of these other guys in my opinion. So the thing that I look at is if you can get a roster next year that has Devin Askew back, if it has Jacob Toppin back, Lance Ware, let's say Cameron Fletcher does return to the team, and then you convince who I think right now might be one of the most important guys to get them to, to come back for another year of college basketball is Davion Mintz. Because I, th- I think that's a guy that if, if Cal were talking right now and he were being honest with himself, 
that's a guy that he wants on his roster next season because I think he could help he could help them next year, yeah. especially in the backcourt. Uh, then you kind of look at a decision with Isaiah Jackson, who I think is going to have a really tough decision when this is all over because he's certainly he has moments where he looks like he's a lottery pick and top 20 pick, but then he also can't score with his back to the basket, and he struggles offensively when it comes to just his offensive game if it's not a dunk or a putback. But he's a guy that I think would look significantly better if B.J. Boston, Terrence Clark, and Olivia Sar and those guys were playing well because it would take some, some pressure off and he'd be able to do some things freely. Uh, something just doesn't make sense, Derek, because even the national analysts that watched this team practice in the preseason, Tom Hart, Jimmy Docks, they were raving about this team and the potential that they had. So either A, Kentucky is not very good, and that's why these guys are beating up on, on themselves at practice. I'd be really cynical for a minute. Go for it. And I like both those guys. Could they have been saying all that stuff because UK is the premier team in SEC basketball and they work for the SEC network? I mean, is that? I don't think we can say it's like not a. Seems like maybe a possibility at this point, given how bad they are. Yeah, it makes me wonder exactly what they saw in practice because I think if Olivier Saar was dominating, you know, Lance Ware and some of these backup backup bigs and stuff, it wouldn't be surprising. But then from what we've seen from Olivier Saar right now, it would be. I mean, these guys, I don't know. Like, I just feel like that they're at a point now to where you get, you got to go on a streak right here, Derek. You've got to win multiple games in a row. Um, so the, let's say, you know, the Hartford Tuesday night doesn't help them in their resume, but it gets them a win. Uh, right now, the, the, the story to me would be the goal if I'm Cal. And this this sounds silly because this is a program that literally takes it game by game. But when you're looking at the schedule, so they'll have Hartford, they'll have Mississippi State, Vandy, Florida, Alabama, Auburn. You're talking you probably need to go on a streak and win five. Is that going to happen? I mean, they're going to Florida, they play Alabama, and they go to Auburn. Right now, I would pick all three of those teams to beat Kentucky. Yeah. It's bad. It is bad. That's the thing, like – those are teams that can beat you. Then you go to Georgia, you play LSU, then you go to Alabama, then you play Texas. Like, Here's the thing that, that gets me. Seth Davis said it last week after the North Carolina game. Kentucky's schedule gets easier. Does it? Because I don't think it does. I mean, every one of these teams that I just named off can beat Kentucky. Just th- take out Mississippi State and Vandy because I, I think Kentucky can win both those, but then I think Kentucky could also lose both. But let's just talk about that streak. At Florida – Alabama at home, at Auburn, at Georgia, LSU at home, at Alabama, and Texas, and at Missouri. Give I don't me t- that getting lighter. No, tell me one of those games that Kentucky is clearly better than those teams. None. None of them. Yeah. Yeah, we're in for a season, which we already were, unlike any other, just because of the times. My cat's on one right now. <laughs> uh, no, but yeah, it's a season unlike any other, and like – Cal today, once again, said he wanted to go back and smack himself for scheduling this. I'll go back to what I said uh, uh, whenever our last pipe Thursday. I'll get my days mixed up, the holiday, where I said, yes, like they played a tougher schedule than some of these other SEC teams are playing, but they, like Georgia Tech, should not be a hard opponent in a normal year. Notre Dame should not be anything that, like, Kentucky couldn't beat. Uh, Even Louisville, like, I think Louisville's an okay team, like not a great team, but an okay team. I don't think there's really a huge shame in losing to Louisville, but certainly I, I just don't know. Like 
Yeah, they could have, clearly in hindsight, they could have used some more games like Moorhead State to get a little bit better. Maybe a couple of those games would have swung differently. But, like, I think the most disappointing thing to me when I watched, like, I just don't see clear progression as a team. You can point out individual guys. We talked about Toppin. He was kind of raving about Devin Askew today. And he did have three assists and just one turnover, but didn't really shoot the ball that well. I mean, he, he was he was okay. Like, he wasn't one of their big problems, but also don't know that he was necessarily worthy of kind of the praise Cal was giving him. But 34% as a team, Sean, like this is kind of the standard for these guys. Like they shoot just horribly. Um, bad from the line too, 64%. Like every time they got on the floor, I just am not seeing much progression. And unless – I just don't see it clicking for this team, honestly. I just, I just don't see it. Like do I think they'll – you know, lose 10 straight games, well, certainly not if they're going to play Hartford. But I just – I don't know. I don't have any answers for these guys. I, I like to think about where this could be going in the future because, unfortunately, for the first time – hell, think about it. Even those NIT years, like, it, they started to melt down a little bit to be guaranteed an NIT spot. You know what I mean? They were at least kind of still fighting for a, an NCAA tournament berth. That team wasn't as bad as what it ended up being. Like with with a healthy Nerlens, this team's worse right now. Oh, this team's way worse. Yeah, it's by it, far the worst team here. Like, it no is. Question. And what you're running into is you're running into guys, Derek, that, you know, I watched B.J. Boston on a high school circuit, and he lit up a lot of teams. But he shot the ball well. Right now, I think his frame keeps him from kind of being that elite scorer. Right now, like when he, when he's not hitting shots, what, what does a good scorer do when he's not hitting shots? He goes to the basket makes a couple of aggressive plays, gets to the free throw line. That's not the mentality that B.J. Boston has right now because he's an 18-year-old kid. He's he's trying to shoot his way out of a slump, which is the exact opposite of what you do. Uh, yeah. But you also look across this program, and you've seen a lot of guys who were really good shooters in high school come to Kentucky and struggle for a year. Devin Booker didn't shoot the ball at Kentucky the way he's shooting it in the NBA or the way he shot it in high school. Uh, keep going down the list, Tyrese Maxey didn't shoot the ball at Kentucky the way he shot it on the AAU circuit and in high school. That's a concerning thing to me because I don't know what happens to the mind. I don't know if the mind speeds up at that level and then things open up for him. Uh, you saw it open up for Emmanuel quickly after one year. He didn't he didn't shoot the ball like great his freshman year, but last year uh, comes out and lots it up. This team right now is just uh, Davion Mintz is their best player, and that's not a good thing. That's no knock on Davion Mintz. Davion Mintz is giving them more than what I thought he would, and I think Davion Mintz is putting himself in a position to be a, to be the guy that gets the headlines going into SEC play, but that tells me that Kentucky's not going to be very good because I think even Davion would tell you that. I don't think he came to Kentucky thinking he was going to be the star, and right now he kind of is the guy. I mean, every single person in the state of Kentucky right now is pissed because he didn't get the final shot. Yeah. Yeah, it's – um. It's just a spot that I just I don't know. I'm kind of left speechless, honestly. Is it a spot? Exactly. I'm speechless too. But does Cal know what's going on? Does Cal know how bad this is? He did try to warn everybody before he the did. Season. He did. <laughs> In his defense. <laughs> but do you think uh, that he thinks they're going to get it figured out, or do you think he thinks it's a wash this season? I think publicly he'll never admit that, but. He's been around enough basketball team, Sean. He's, he's got to know that this team's got no chance, right? He has to. Yeah. Um, there's too many flaws right now. They don't. They can't shoot it. 
uh, the point guard thing I think gets overblown a lot because they they're missing open shots right now, Derek. It's not like they're having trouble getting shots. They're getting shots. They're just not hitting them. They have no post threat. Olivier Saar has shown that he's not a guy on the block. I mean, they're they're using him as a face-up guy. They force-fed Isaiah Jackson today in the second half. I think we found out that that's not doable. Right now, Lance, where's their best post player? And he can't throw the ball in the ocean if he were the only person out there. Like, he, like that's the thing. That's not his game right now. His game is physicality, setting the tone. And ha- I think he has all the pieces to be a very good player, but that's not somebody you can play through on the block right now. So that that's another thing. If you're not shooting the ball well, you better be very good in the post. They don't have anybody they can post up. The Terrence Clark project at point guard failed mightily. Like that's not that's not even something they're even going to entertain. I think the rest of the way, Derek. I just think that it is what it is now. I think uh, what Kentucky's problems were two weeks ago. There's new prog- problems piled on top of, and I think that this is kind of a thing where they're just just continuing to get buried. I think the. If it was an easier thing to convince people, I think if you could have any kind of silver lining or what what maybe people should pay attention to the rest of the year is the guys you would perceive to come back. How do they develop? Do, do we notice Cal shifting things towards those guys a little bit more? Does he maybe continue to play Sar less and less? Does he play more Jacob Toppin, Lance Ware? Um, I don't think it's as, as easy at guard just because Askew already plays a lot anyway, and Allen's not going to probably play very much anyway, so you're kind of going to be stuck with Clark and Boston, so you can't do as much there. But how about how about that being something to look forward to, I guess would be my thing. You know, how, how does he kind of build for those kids that might come back? Because that was part of the scuttlebutt uh, last week or whatever about uh, Cal not being happy with a few guys. I don't think it was anybody who he thinks is going to come back. I'll, I'll say it that way. Yeah, so. Yeah, I think uh, I think Cal feels really good about a lot of guys on this team moving forward. Um, I, I'm confident that Lance Ware, Devin Askew, Jacob Toppin, I, th- I think those guys are all going to be in Kentucky jerseys next year, Derek. Uh, and I do think that it, we're we're getting to a point now where I think that Davion Mintz has a there's a really really good argument there that he comes back for another year with this blanket waiver that, that everybody's getting in college basketball. Uh, honestly, if you look at the roster, every single guy should be back next year. None of them are NBA ready. Terrence Clark's not NBA ready. B.J. Boston's not NBA ready. But here's the thing. Their draft stock right now, they're on the verge of this thing absolutely falling apart and falling completely out of the lottery, out of the first round, and not even being it. So what do you make then? What decision do you make as a kid and as an inner circle and as a family if you see draft stock falling that hard, I mean, could you opt out? You could, but what exactly does that do for your stock? I mean, is the NBA – I get it. The NBA doesn't really care what they do in college. I think they, they just go off potential anyhow. But at the same time, if your stock's falling, is it better to say, hey, that's enough, no more jumping ship now, or do you kind of stick it out and try to fight and try to do something and prove it? Because you've got to play basketball at some point. Well, it didn't do much to help Khalil Whitney last year, did it? Whenever he decided he didn't want to play anymore, he did he you know get signed by anybody? He's with Charlotte. Okay, for now. I mean, he'll get cut from there too. But, but that's a kid that should be on this team right now. Not saying it would help, but that's a kid that had a spot on this team. Well, it's just the wrong mentality, and like that's part of like Cal wants to talk about their culture. Well, that's your culture. Like when things get tough for these kids, and I I don't know if they're considering opting out or not, but. 
theoretically, if they were. No, I'm just saying that in a year like this, I'm not nobody. I've not heard anything about anybody opting out, but just saying that this is a weird year, Derek. I'll and put it this way. Be people. Yeah, I'll put it this way. Like, and I tweeted it. Like, I, I don't, I don't feel bad saying. It. I don't think it's mean. Like, I don't see BJ Boston playing in the NBA next season. Might he decide that he would rather still go play in the G League or whatever instead of playing at Kentucky? I mean, sure, that's his right. Plenty of other kids have done that from Kentucky, but like, uh, I don't know. I just I wish for some of these kids it was more of a realistic a realistic option that you would stay and develop. Like that's not even it's like a it's not even a thought at Kentucky at this point. Like it would be stunning, right, if Boston decided to come back for another year. It would be, even though he's shooting thirty seven percent from the floor, it would be yeah, the most knows. stunning thing that I've ever heard in my entire life. Yeah, even though he's been downright bad shooting the basketball, doesn't do a ton to help winning. He's not taking over games. Like, he's done nothing incredibly well that I think would really get you excited for the next level. Yet, it's like a foregone conclusion that you shouldn't even expect him back just because that's how things are at Kentucky. They they go on runs when he's out of the game. Like I don't, know, I don't know if he'll reach Scal level, like where Cal just will refuse to play him or not because uh, they might not have enough around him, like, I mean, like, Scal struggled mightily, but at least they had Tyler Ulyss and Jamal Murray to kind of bail him out. This team doesn't really have that. That's that's probably the worst part is they're still going to probably continue to count on Boston for a lot, and I just don't think he's going to be able to provide it. So well, he's probably going to continue to look bad, and the team's going to continue to look bad. But we're, we're talking about a team here who you can go down the list of this thing. Notre Dame was weird. They, they ended up trailing by 22. 24. 24, sorry. Uh, 22 at the half, right? Yeah. Okay. And then had a chance to win it, but they just they dug such a big hole, Derek, that it was asking a lot for them to even be in the position that they were. Richmond game, they just never could get over everything there in the second half. But there's a point in these games, and it is the exact same point in every single game that this is happening. Second half against Richmond, midway through, what happens? Richmond goes on a run. Kentucky goes on a drought. Kansas game. Kentucky has the lead. Kentucky goes on a drought. Kansas takes the lead. And then things start going down. It's, it's, it just goes haywire for Kentucky. Fast forward to North Carolina. The Georgia Tech game is just out the window because they just got their brains beaten out that day. They didn't even make the trip. North Carolina, Kentucky has a lead. Offense, the wheels start coming off. Second half. North Carolina takes the lead, boom, done. Same thing happened today. Once they got down seven, it felt like it was 15 to 20 points. It is, it's been the same thing, the same storyline, the same script every single game. They're losing games the exact same way. They don't run efficient enough offense to win college basketball games. They can't even score 65 points. Like that, That's a problem. They're losing games because they're so poor offensively. That's that's where we're at in 2020 right now. I watched Gonzaga today. I watched every moment of that game. First half, literally, first play of the game, it was such a high level of offense. Iverson cut in an empty ball screen, boom, layup. Kentucky doesn't do any of that stuff. Like, there's just it's, – it's painful to watch how Kentucky runs offense compared to the Gonzagas and the other teams around the country who run efficient offense at some point. I mean, Kentucky doesn't even run ball screens. Like, there's there's nothing. There's no pressure on the defense at all, and they don't shoot the ball well enough to play that way, Derek. Yeah, I mean, people probably, I don't know if they'll get mad at me, but, like, 
basically for Christmas, I watched a full day of NBA basketball, and I, I just, I feel bad for people that, like I said, I feel bad for people that deeply care about college basketball because it is just it's tough to watch. It's yeah. tough to watch. Like it's, I mean, some teams like Gonzaga is fun. Uh, Iowa doesn't play any defense, but their offense is fun to watch. So just pure entertainment value. There are some teams in college basketball that are fun to watch. For Kentucky fans of both basketball and football this season who enjoy exciting <laughs> sports, it has been a – in addition to how hard the real world has been this year, I think it's been a tough time too for Kentucky fans to watch to watch some of these teams play. Um, I feel bad for them, honestly. I do. I feel bad for Kentucky fans this year. Uh, I will say, especially Kentucky basketball fans and even football fans, I mean, it's kind of a – people laugh, but like, it's kind of a golden age too for football. I mean, going back to the 50s, it's like – or eh, maybe the 70s or whatever year. I think they might have been cheating, though, at that place uh, under Frank Kersey. Before my time, but, like, it's, it's still overall, like, the last few years have been good. But, like, what, what they had with Cal – and so I was telling you on the phone, like, if Cal is to be successful again at Kentucky and compete for titles, I don't think it's going to be the same way that it was for most of this tenure. No. I just think college basketball has changed in a way that one and done. I mean, you started to see it probably a little bit with the Ben Simmons of the world, guys like that who just started going to schools that they didn't really care. I mean, they didn't care about going to UK and yeah. still got picked high. Uh, I mean, who's like the number one pick in this year's draft? I can't even remember <laughs> Honestly, who, who, well, well, and then you look too at programs like Duke and others who kind of one. accepted the one and done. So then, those kids had more decisions than just going to Kentucky, Derek. And oh. and it's just it's changed. It is complete. now it's okay. It's okay to still take those kids though. But what you got to do is you got to have a. There's got to be a path. And these these other kids like Lance Ware and these other guys who I think are going to develop into very solid players at Kentucky. They got to develop into very solid players at Kentucky. Not at Arizona, not at UCLA, not somewhere else. They got to do it at Kentucky, and I think that's the biggest challenge that this that this coaching staff has to do right now. Is this is about development and getting yourself ahead of the game a little bit more. Think about uh, that. Uh, I just remembered Anthony Edwards is the number one pick, and that brings me to my point when you're talking about the way Cal will do things. Like there was a real possibility ten years ago that a, a, a kid, the caliber, the player of Anthony Edwards and uh, James Wiseman both would have been at Kentucky on the same team. Yeah. And, like, those days are gone, I think, forever. Like, I don't think they're going to – coming back. Yeah, they're not going to have to. I mean, Duke had it most recently, and I know they didn't even make the Final Four, but, like, Zion and R.J. Barrett, that was a, a monster. Like, they could have won a title. I know they didn't. They got beat out in the lead eight, but it was good enough to win a title. And even when you look at Kentucky's freshman that season compared to those guys, like, they still had good players, like, ranked high. But E.J. Montgomery that first game was nowhere in the same world as Zion Williamson. Tyler Hero was nowhere in the same world as R.J. Baird at that point in his career. Like, even even the kids that have turned out pretty well, and, I mean, Tyler Hero's doing a great job in the NBA. He developed into a lottery pick. He, he's far down the list in terms of guys you would want to critique in terms of uh, recruits kind of falling off. But, like, I just don't know. And I look at the 2021, there's nobody. Uh, I mean, Damian Collins could be a good player. Nolan Hickman could be a good player. Hawkins could be a good player. But they're not – come in day one, dominate this thing for a year, and then leave. Change the program, yeah, like or you know, change the, the way things are going right now. It make, makes you wonder this, Derek. Kentucky has missed on some guys, not just missed in recruiting, but I'm talking whiffed, and yeah. things haven't worked out. More time, I mean, it's not just one or two guys. It's multiple guys that things have not worked out. They've also 
guys have been better than advertised. Shea Gilgis Alexander, Tower Hero, those guys come to mind. Emmanuel Quickly too. Like Emmanuel Quickly, I don't think anybody saw that coming last season. I agree with that. So they've had they've had situations where they've missed and then they've had situations where they've identified and they've developed guys. But I think it is it to the point now where we start wondering what exactly that we all – did Cal see the exact same thing that I saw when I was watching B.J. Boston and Terrence Clark? Am I just – are we at a spot now in this game of basketball where, just, where we're overwhelmed with athleticism and dunking and length? Is that what we are, that we don't value just the kid that can knock down shots? Or we don't value the kid that you know maybe can't touch the top of the square, but he's going to burn you up 7 to 10 from the three-point line? Is, you get what I'm saying? Like, is that what we what we value in college basketball now? Is that because I, I I do think that that's the guy that Cal would favor. Cal's always to me going to take the guy who can put his elbow on the rim over the kid that can shoot lots out. That's just yeah. who Cal is. Hamadou Diallo is a good example of that. I think of a guy who athletic as hell, but as a college basketball player was not any good. Basically, I mean to be blunt, like he just wasn't very good. <laughs> but then you go back early into the Cal Perry era. And Deron Lamb's not a guy that just blows you away with athleticism. Did you ever see Deron Lamb dunk on someone? No. No. But what you did see was you saw him absolutely shoot the crap out of it. Brand the night too. Yeah. Though those players, I just think you're at a point where Kentucky has to start taking basketball players over athletes. Yeah. That's the biggest thing that I see. Like that that has to change. Uh, you can't get away with athleticism. John Wall was a very good basketball player. He was explosive and could do some things. There's none of these guys are in the same breath as you know John Wall the and those guys. Right? That, that's not they're top ten recruits, but the, it's it's different, Derek. If you put them all in one batch, they'd be on the lower end of the ten. Like if you put them all together, that's just that's just how it is. I just feel like Kentucky needs to recruit basketball players, guys that can shoot the basketball, that are efficient players that. You know, thrive in an offense. Right now, there's too many guys that just have a broke part of their game offensively, and the whole the whole machine's broke right now. Yeah, it's just in an era. It's like I was talking about earlier with the entertainment value. Like, you're in a three point. You have been for a number of year now, number of years. Like, everybody shoots threes and makes threes. I mean, it, football. Everybody throws for 350 yards now. You know, it's just like crazy that UK is in a spot where this year it can't make any kind of consistently make threes and they consistently couldn't throw the ball. Like it's just hard time right now, I think, to watch them play. And I think you're right on the basketball recruit things. Maybe that means taking taking guys who aren't as highly ranked, I guess, and trying to develop them. But that takes a whole – I just don't know if they can do it under Cal, man. I just don't know if they can go back to – I just don't know how you get out of the cycle. It would take a total – I don't know. It would just take a total change. Like, I just think – like I said earlier, if they are to change, then I think Cal will – I mean, is Nolan Hickman and Bryce Hawkman are those two guys who are multi-year players, or do they have that mindset where they don't mind develop? Like, I don't I don't know. I just don't know how you go about – if your whole sales pitch for 11 years is come here and you'll become a pro, then how do you go from selling that to, okay, well, maybe, maybe one or two of these guys can do that, but I need you two or three other guys to – stay here and develop your game. But he has the incentive of trying to develop those. Like, I just don't think you can have the best of both worlds is what I'm trying to say. I think it's hard to do is to keep the same kind of mentality that 
Yeah, like even this year, you can see like Boston and Clark are probably NBA guys. Uh, theoretically, Dante Allen would be a multi-year college player who could develop. Well, Dante's not getting any minutes. Maybe he's just not good enough to get minutes, but to use, I don't know. To use, I don't know who else to use an example. I hope what I'm saying makes sense. Like, I just don't think it can be both. It can't. And I don't know if you can pick two players a year to be elite and then try to have two or three other guys in the class be patient. I just don't think – I just think kids have too many options these days. And with the transfer portal coming, I just think it's going to be hard to continue to build teams that way. So, well, I, I just don't see a quick fix coming here for Cal unless he can get – I don't even know if I want to talk about this stuff so early because it's just December. But, like, I think you can already pinpoint Isaiah Jackson as, like, the guy who could be a difference next year. If you could, could get him for two years. Then, well, here- Here's the thing that I look at, too, on the whole basketball player stand. Tower Hero was a pure basketball player. Derek, yeah. one of the smoothest players that we've seen at Kentucky. And as that year went on, he just got even smoother. Um, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, smooth. Smooth as could be in pick and roll, crafty. Uh, list goes on and on. I think, I think Emmanuel Quickly was smooth. I think he had those are the guys that I'm talking about that you've got to get. P.J. Washington, smooth as could be. Once he added that three-point shot, you saw what it did to his game. You know, post he was he was smooth in every aspect of the game. Right now, I watch a lot of guys on this team right now, and they don't move well. They're not smooth, and that's the thing that stands out to me the most is it's hard to watch because it's like you got a lot of guys who I think even struggle to even run up and down the floor right now with the basketball. Like there's just no fluidity to their game. And that leads to poor offense, in my opinion. There's just no natural movement and smoothness to their game. And in the game of basketball, that, that's the biggest thing that you see in the NBA. Those guys are just so smooth with their I body. Feel like, I kind of feel like Clark's ankle, I don't doubt that it seriously hurt him because I feel like he's only wanting to take jump shots now. I don't know if he feels confident enough to, like, burst off his ankle. Because well, he should is, be a guy who could be able to create and get to the rim pretty much whenever he wanted to because he seems like a pretty athletic he, guy and everything, but – well, it leads me back to what I told you earlier on the phone. This is a team that doesn't dunk. Yeah. How often do they dunk on people right now? Isaiah Jackson had some today. He had they had a lot, but the, yeah. I would love I would love to go back and watch every moment of every game and count how many lobs they've had, and that would tell you all that you need to know about this team. Because what is the one thing that Calipari's teams have always done well? They've thrown the lob to the bigs. This team does not do that. Have you? How many lobs have you seen Olivier Sar throw down? I mean, how many of they other than today the one in transition where they went box to box off the off the steal with Jackson to ask you then ask you back to Jackson? That is John Calipari transition basketball box to box drill. They do every single day where instead of getting wide they go box to box and give the basketball. Those are th- those were moments that I felt like okay, there's still some things in there that they can be good at, but they don't do it enough. Like they and I'm not saying they should come down every play and throw it to the rim. But that's that tells me how bad they are offensively right now, Derek, that they're not even getting those situations. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty unbelievable that they can't. I, I was kind of taken about, uh, taken aback, I mean, on that lob to to Jackson just because it seemed like it had been so long since they had a run out like that <laughs> that ended in a yeah. lob play. But he was he – was, going back to the Louisville game, like Jackson gave them a little spurt there that got him a four-point lead early in the second half, and that was – his block was great. Like, if he's someone who does decide to go to the NBA, well, his his dunk about uh, or his dunk uh, his block, sorry, on Williamson, and then the lob, like that's a highlight package. He's had some really good blocks this year. Um, 
He's an interesting player. I mean, I think he's not an offensively skilled guy at all. Someone actually tweeted at me. I was going through my comments a few minutes ago, and he, he said he reminded him of a young Willie Collie Stein, which I could kind of see a little bit. Not not quite the same guy. He's a little shorter and whatnot. He's a power forward in, yeah, in NBA versus a center like Willie. But, you know, he's a guy that uh, I think – He's a guy that if Kentucky's going to turn this thing around, he needs to be back in school next year. Yeah. Um, maybe you just write well, off Austin and Clark, just whatever it is. Like, you just write it off. But if you can convince – like, I don't know if Isaiah came here wanting to be a one-and-done regardless. So. No, and, and that's the other thing, too, is, you know, he's he shot up draft boards after the Kansas performance and after the start to the season. But don't – that's the thing is, do, does he buy into that and think that's what he is? No. I, I think he's a kid, Derek, that – I don't think, like you said, I don't think he came. I don't know if he came to Kentucky with the mindset that he'd be one and done. Uh, that's an interesting thing. That I think they're going to have a lot of interesting decisions on this roster when it's all said and done. Who knows? They still have 20 games. It's hope. Not all hope isn't lost, but I will say this: their chances of making the NCAA tournament. If you were putting a number on it right now, let's just put it. Somebody tweeted it earlier. Who was it? That there's only been one team one and that started one and six that received an at large bid to the NCAA tournament. That right there, yeah, that right there should tell you everything that they're on the wrong side of history right now. And if they are going to make a run, it better start now because if they get into those stretches where they play Tennessee a couple of times, I mean, let's face it, Tennessee's going to absolutely destroy them right now. If if they were to play, and just because Tennessee Tennessee is efficient, like Tennessee can do some things that they'll, they'll just they'll just manhandle Kentucky. Ponds, all those guys will just destroy Kentucky from a physical standpoint. Uh, good thing is Kentucky has a lot of games left until they have to play Tennessee. But this needs to be a team, Derek, that needs to start out hot in SEC play. They they better finish in the top three of the league to get to the NCAA tournament. They've got to finish top three regular season, in my opinion, to get a, to get in that large bid. If they can do that, I think they'll put themselves in a position. And we also know this. This not, this might be a year where John Calipari needs to value the SEC tournament, but here's the other side of that. You're not going to have Big Blue Nation there pushing you all the way through it, which could change things, which should change things. Yeah, I could see them uh, having a losing record and then going down to Nashville and finding a way to – to win and go back to the, I don't know. I mean, it's well, up. I say that I say they're not getting in, but I'm. It's 2020. Who knows what happens, Derek? I, they're going to win games. I don't think they're just going to continue on this losing skid. I think they're going to have moments where they look better and they look okay. But yeah, they will. If you ask me right now, if they're making an NCAA tournament, I think anyone that tells you yeah is just is just lying to themselves. How can you say that right now? They're one and six with nothing to show for. So. That's what I was telling you earlier today. Like my, my biggest thing was, even if they would have found a way to win today, would have found a way to win today. Like I, I think, I certainly wouldn't be saying like bad thing. I don't think the way they look is the biggest thing to me. Like yeah, they could have snuck that out today. Same deal with Notre Dame. They could have snuck those games out. One there, stole it at the end. But you're still talking about a team that shot 35 percent from the floor. Like still has all these same problems. Like yeah, they're not getting blown out by anybody really. But I just don't know how good they're gonna end up being, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And uh, I, I don't doubt it that they'll go on a run at some point. I don't know what that run might be this year. I mean, it might a run right now. Be this, win. <laughs> no, so yeah, for this group, like a three-game winning streak in the SEC would probably be really good for them. Um, you know, I think I would just tell fans, and they don't have to listen to me if they don't want to, but if they listen to this, I guess they care somewhat. Like, 
is one and six at Kentucky acceptable? No, like they should never look as bad as they have this year. Has this always kind of been a tightrope for Cal that he's excelled at? I would say yes. Like they've had some other years that didn't didn't ever quite get this bad, but they were. They, they, it's just a very boomer bust type philosophy, and he's been better than anybody at making it work every single year. And they've just happened to run into a year where it was the worst possible. Like, I don't agree with the way he builds teams anyway, so I'm not trying to give him an out here. But it did happen to be a year where you had 10 new players, and it was a COVID year where you didn't get your normal building process for the team. So that was unfortunate that it happened that way. Um, but, again, I don't think it's an excuse for him because he chooses to be young every year. Like, that's a choice. Uh, that's why he's built this program. So I think there needs to be some grace there. Um, I don't think his press conferences really help him out much as he just seems to make somebody mad every time he goes out there by saying things. But I just think you'll have to stick with it this year. Um, I don't know what your realistic ex- expectations should be. I wouldn't tell you where to set them. But uh, I will give him some grace. I mean, what, North Carolina went, what, like 14 and 19 last year? Like <laughs> – that's a great program. Roy Williams is a great coach. Like sometimes you just have bad years and uh, we're not used to them being as bad as they are this year. That's for sure. Nobody's used to this, but uh, you just try to follow along with it. I guess what I would say is uh, at least what I'll be from my perspective, what I'll really focus on is kind of what I said earlier. I want to see how he treats some of these kids that you would think for sure are going to come back. If he really starts emphasizing those guys, I think you can start to be a little bit more optimistic <laughs> about how he's going to build the team for the future. Yeah, that's that's the guys that, honestly, I think he kind of needs to favor right now is you got to keep those guys around. The guys that are helping them. I mean, they're yeah. helping them win right now more than some others for sure. And, and, you know, here's the thing about it. Stop giving Terrence Clark and B.J. Boston such a long leash. Play somebody and then let it be up to them to fight for it. You know, is it going to change how you're playing? Right now there's no pressure. B.J. Boston can miss ten shots in a row and he knows he's not getting pulled, Derek. That's not, that's not a winning culture on a team because there's no competition that's fueling that. And the biggest thing that we've heard at Kentucky is what? You come to Kentucky because you play against the, you practice and play against the best. So Jane, do it. Give them, put some competition, you know, bring them off the bench a couple of games. See if they have that, you know, see if they want to fight right now. It's not happening. It's not. So let me just trouble a little more salt in the wound for people. Been a, been a good day for a Cards fan, I'll say that. Uh, football news, I don't know if people saw this. Brian Hudson from Virginia Tech, who UK. Some people, as early as last week, thought he was coming to Kentucky, has just chosen Louisville. <laughs> so, big day for the Cards uh, over Kentucky. I don't want to derail this into a, into a football podcast, but I just wanted to – it fits with what we're talking about, Louisville game. Louisville gets a kid from Scott County that, uh, that people thought might be a Wildcat. So, he's gone elsewhere. Um but, Sean, I think we've about run this basketball stuff as far as we can tonight. No wins. Uh, they'll go into 2021 with just one win and it was against Very Moorhead good. State. We've had Thanksgiving dinner and Christmas dinner since the last time Kentucky won a basketball game on the men's side. Let that yeah. sink in. I, I don't – I think however long we live, I don't – obviously they'll play more games in our normal year, but it's just uh, – it's unbelievable. I mean, I just – nobody could have predicted this. I mean – I feel like an idiot for projecting to only lose like four games. <laughs> uh, which, in my defense, nobody was picking them to be this bad. But I don't know. It's uh, it's a tough year, and I think you'll just have to, as a as a Kentucky fan, Kentucky basketball fan. I think people have been blessed with plenty of, I guess, ammo for rivals in terms of 
I do I do think it's true when Cal says that for a long time they were everybody's Super Bowl. Like you've been to some of those arenas. I've been to some of those arenas. I've been to just about every arena when they play Kentucky. And it is a different feel in there versus, you know, you go to a game at, at Auburn. Auburn's typically got a pretty good crowd, but they really ratcheted it up a little bit for Kentucky. Yeah. So, you know, they've built up a lot of, you know, they've given some beat downs under Cal. And, like, this is a year where you just, you're going to have to just kind of, just kind of kind of have to roll with it. Uh, this will be a year where people are going to kick them when they're down, but that happens sometimes when you're a fan, I would say. Uh, not often when you're a Kentucky basketball fan, but I guess it's hope for better days ahead <laughs> that they can get back to a level where they uh, are, are dominating this conference and, and beating the teams that they should beat. Um, Even, it's just a tough year. That's, that's, that's where I fall down on it today. Like It's crazy that it's December 26th, and, uh, I mean, they're more or less already out of the NCAA tournament unless something crazy happens. And that's hard to deal with, but I don't know. Even more salt in the wound for Ken, for Kentucky fans. Uh, Matt Norlander sitting here writing about Gonzaga going undefeated this season, and that it being a real possibility. It could happen. It, it could happen. It could definitely happen this season. That that's a team that's good enough to do it. And uh, boy, wouldn't that be something? And that would make this year even worse for Kentucky fans to know that they were so close to doing it. But it wouldn't be 40-0, but it would be undefeated. Uh, Derek, like you said, we've kind of talked about everything that we could talk about. Uh, Dallin Cuff, who is a ESPN basketball reporter, he's he uh, he's been the studio guy, I think, in almost every ESPN game Kentucky's had this season. Derek, he's going to join us Monday morning for an episode of Kentucky Daily. I honestly thought it would be better to have somebody else come on and talk because – Kind of, we, we've talked about all that we can talk about at this point. Let's get somebody else's opinion, uh, and then we'll just see what goes from there because I kind of want to see what somebody else from an outsider point of view has to say about this and see what they say. I had Dallin on the radio show when I was doing radio two years ago. Very good interview, very knowledgeable, uh, played college basketball, so he knows the game. So I thought it would be cool to have him on, so we're going to bring him on have him talk about that. Uh, but want to make sure we give a shout-out to the Butcher's Pub. Two locations, one in Pineville, Kentucky, one in Williamsburg, Kentucky. Derek, uh, they're doing very well since they've opened back up both locations. So great to hear that. Uh, get out there. Hopefully, as we move into 2021, Derek, and the vaccine and everything becomes more available and stuff, maybe, just maybe, we start to maybe see light at the end of the tunnel. We can get to some normal things with the pub and start doing some live shows and you know recorded shows there maybe a couple a year or something like that. So you can visit the butcherspub.com or check them out on Facebook. But this has been another episode of Kentucky Daily. He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you Monday. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.